This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Covaris, Ranchford Eye Center, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information, and we answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be back. I've, many of you know I've been gone for the last several weeks uh, with my duties with the New York Yankees down at spring training, and uh, it's been a great experience as always and, and a great time down there being in the sun and being around baseball. And we're more optimistic now that we're getting to that here in Connecticut. So um, it is great to be back. And this is a live show today, so we're going to take questions. And my guest here in the studio will be Dr. Michael Scanlon. Dr. Scanlon is part of the Connecticut Foot Group, CT Foot Group. He is a podiatrist. And he's one of our favorite guests. He comes on regularly to talk about foot pain, things going on in the area of podiatry, and we have several questions for him. He always, he always drops a, a decent hit. I mean, the hint he gives us is always so good, uh, and and I can remember them right off the top of my head. Um, with plantar fasciitis, we talked about using a tennis ball and rolling it on the bottom of your foot. Uh, we talked about sanitizing your shoes instead of using powder, using Lysol spray. Uh, he's grinning because I remember all these things and have incorporated them into the things I do. So whenever I learn that much from a guest, it's always great having them back on. I'm going to give you the phone numbers now, and I'll give them throughout the show, but 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. It's also starred 9842, or if you don't want to call in and just want to shoot a quick email over, it's info at alessimd.com. This week in medicine, and this day in medicine, April 14, 1787, Dr. Pierre-Charles Alexandre Louis was born. And Dr. Louis was a French physician and a teacher. And he devised something he called the numerical method. And basically, he was the first person to start using numbers and statistics as they applied to medicine. So it was really the forerunner of what we call epidemiology now, or evidence-based medicine, something we espouse a great deal on this program. Essentially, what we're saying is you need to collect good data, get accurate, supportive data before you act. So before you change something in the way you do it, make sure you have good data behind it. A lot of people don't. Okay, they're out there hawking snake oil, for lack of a better term. Actually, literally snake oil. I was on with Ray this week, Ray Dunaway, talking about somebody has new oil to prevent dementia and cure concussion. So those people are out there. And the question becomes, is it something that's evidence-based? Has it withstood the test of a double-blind or blinded controlled study? So, again, we remember Dr. Louis. Uh, also, it's interesting that he was the first person to use a watch to time the pulse, to time a patient's pulse, um, and uh, that was back in 1787. Uh, as I mentioned, I've been away at spring training with the New York Yankees, 
Uh, you know, here's an interesting overlap. A lot of people always say to me, I'm starting to be forgetful. One of the things we don't do enough of is make lists and have a list of things we have to do or something pops in our mind like a great idea. Even at night, you're laying in bed, you get this great idea, and then you don't remember it in the morning. Write it down. And the people who really looked at this first was IBM. IBM, the computer company, had a thing called a ThinkPad. Now, everybody my age thinks the ThinkPad was a laptop computer, which many of us had. It was a great laptop computer. But the ThinkPad was actually a brown quasi-leather-bound pad, and it had a folder, the leather folder, but in it were inserts. You could change the inserts, and it was called a ThinkPad, and it was designed to fit in an IBM employee's breast pocket. You just put that right in your pocket so that – and they encouraged their employees, whenever you had an idea, just write it down. Something came in your mind, write it down, draw something, something like that. So they called it the ThinkPad, and this was going on in the 50s and 60s, and if you ran out of paper, they had refills for it. And it made me think about that because it's something we don't always do. But I observe people using these things. Uh, there was a manager at the hotel where I was staying, and suddenly he took out a little spiral brown pad to write something down to, to make sure he remembered it. So again, once you put it in writing, you can get it out of your head to some degree and not have to struggle and use energy to start thinking about it again. The reason I was reminded of it with the New York Yankees is they give out a little pad. Uh, you know these ledgers? Everybody's got these ledgers now. When you go to meetings, you go. everybody takes out their bound ledger. Well, they have these small bound ledgers that they made up with the Yankee logo and, and a place to put a pen in it to give to all the staff. So the coaches, staff, all have these little pads, these little ledgers you could slip in your back pocket, your breast pocket, anywhere. And again, design that if you get an idea, put it down. So the bottom line is of what I'm trying to say is that there are ways of helping your memory by alleviating the energy you have to expend on remembering things, making a list. You know, nothing more frustrating than going to the grocery store and trying to remember everything and then get home and you forgot something because you didn't make a list. And it doesn't mean you have dementia or Alzheimer's disease. It just means that you were smart enough to make a list. One of the other things in, in reading about how people can improve their memory, several handy things. You know, we used to always think about doing crossword puzzles. Uh, but now they talk about doing playing games that are timed. So when you're playing a board game or a card game, if you're under the pressure of time, it helps train your brain to some degree. One handy hint to me was writing in longhand actually helps boost memory. And the reason being is because, and I don't even know if they teach longhand to children anymore in school, but writing in longhand is a motor activity that's linked with a cognitive function. So again, there are these little hints along the way, but you know, those little spiral pads you put in your pocket, just pick one up. And actually, I don't even think you pick one up. They're so inexpensive now. I think they come like six to a pack. But again, worth doing. Vitamins and supplements. I already touched on this a little bit uh, in what I spoke about on Ray's show. 
Uh, but one of the things that came up was vitamin E. This has been always controversial. People were saying vitamin E is the way to go, prevents cancer, uh, and you won't get demented. Uh, recent study just published, I reviewed it just this week uh, for uh, JAMA Neurology, and vitamin E did not help in that st- from that standpoint. So, again, uh, you have to be somewhat careful about uh, what you believe and what supplements you're buying. Um, actually, there was an article today that uh, Mark Sanchez, a football player, here's a guy who's a big-time football player, uh, high draft choice. He, he, just got, he just got picked up for performance-enhancing drugs on a urine test. And right away he says, well, it was because he had tainted supplements. I'm really tired of hearing that from these guys. Okay, there are ways you should be able to you can take those supplements before you take them and submit them. You submit them to uh, your athletic trainer and then you're able to know exactly what's in it. So there's no excuse for that. Uh, One last thing I did want to mention before we go to the break is a a little bit about headgear. A lot of people are always saying, how do you avoid a concussion? How do you avoid a head injury? And I have to tell you, a helmet is a real good idea in terms of avoiding severe head injury, skull fracture. They now have headgear that is legal to be used in women's lacrosse. I have always maintained that any sport where you have sticks flying and balls moving at high velocity, a helmet should be worn. Yet, it's very difficult to get these young women to wear a helmet. Change is always a loss to people. That's a basic business philosophy. Change is a loss. So we have to start at young ages. I recently had a baseball player who I consulted on who was hit by a ball, hit off a bat. He was a pitcher, got hit in the head, had a skull fracture and hemorrhage. This isn't uncommon in baseball. It happens. So at what point do you put headgear on a pitcher? And this was discussed, and they came up with several different types of headgear none of which was suitable. And I, and I have to almost side with them. They were awkward and it just didn't work. But for this athlete, we were able to find a liner for a cap uh, made by a company called Unequal. It is uh, a Kevlar liner that fits right into the baseball cap. And as this player was using it, I mandated that he had to use it for a year. He's actually came to me and said, I don't even know it's there. It's so light, and the way it fits in, I don't even know I have the liner in there. Now, will it avoid everything? No. Is it as good as wearing a big football helmet? No. But it's got to be better than just wearing a cap. So the reason I'm bringing this up is for parents and grandparents who are listening, when these children begin to play, even at the little league level, and they're pitching, make sure they're wearing something. The liner costs $40 $40 on the internet. You could trim it to fit any size cap. It fits right in. The child won't even know they're wearing it. It's so light and so durable. Um, if you go to the website, it was unequal uh, headgear, and you could see the demonstration for it. And again, I don't know how much protection, but whatever it is, it's better than what we have. With that, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back, and we're going to be chatting with my guest today, Dr. Michael Scanlon. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. That is the music of Frankie Valley, formerly of the Four Seasons. 
He is going to be at the Mohegan Sun tonight. That has got to be. Everyone tells me it's a great show, and it's a great venue. Uh, for people to visit. So uh, if you can, get over to Mohegan Sun. Enjoy the restaurants and everything else going on at Mohegan Sun. And if you're there tonight, uh, you'll have uh, Frankie Valley um, as well. Uh, before we get to my guest, we're going to take a quick call. We have John from West Hartford, um, who is on the line. John, welcome to the show. Hello. Hi, John. You had a question. Yes, I do. I've been taking Carbidopa, Levodopa, uh, one and a half tablets three times a day. And the last time I saw the doctor, he opted to two. When I take two in the morning, that uh, I become unresponsive. I was wondering why this should change like that. So it's interesting. Carbidopa levodopa is a drug uh, designed for someone with Parkinson's disease. And I'm that's assuming what I'm that's what they're for, treating. Yes. Correct. And what it does is it's actually fairly miraculous. It came about in the 1960s, and it's a way of replacing dopamine in the brain. And in doing so, it has a fraction so that – so if you just take dopamine or L-dopa, it will break down in the peripheral nervous system, in your limbs. It never gets to the brain. So carbidopa, levodopa is a combination drug allowing the – L-DOPA to get into the brain and smooth Parkinson's. Uh, John, does it help you when you're taking the smaller dose? Uh, when I take the one and a half, I don't have any trouble with it. Okay. But when I up to the two, uh, two tablets, then I had trouble in the morning, primarily. Okay. I can take the two, and a, two tablets at noontime that night, but not in the morning. So I go back to one and a half and I'm all right. So stick with one and a half until you speak to your doctor. And yeah. let me explain why. You have to carefully balance the medication with each patient. Each patient is different. So we work off of a dosage for any medication that works for most people. In this case, they need to adjust it to suit you. And it sounds like one and a half pills are working for you. I would stick with that until you get back to your doctor and he may, he or she may adjust it as the day goes on. So anyhow, but I would go back to the one and a half and call your doctor on Monday. Okay. Very good. Great chatting with John. Thanks for calling. Thank you. And now we have an opportunity to chat with Dr. Michael Scanlon. Dr. Scanlon is a podiatrist specializing in foot and ankle surgery. Uh, Michael, Welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's always nice to be here. Michael, let's talk a little bit about, just to bring everybody up to speed, what you do. What is a podiatrist? Uh, podiatrist. Uh, it's four years medical school. It's podiatry school, uh, usually followed by a two- or three-year residency. Uh, I work, depending on what state you're in, everyone's state's a little bit different, uh, but here in Connecticut, we can work on the foot and the ankle. We do a little bit of everything, uh, from dermatology, infectious disease, to uh, orthopedics. Um, so how did you end up here in Connecticut? It's <laughs> a loaded one. Uh, is I, it? I, I, I am from here. I'm, I'm originally from Western Mass. So for me, this is coming home. Uh, part of my family is from the eastern side of Connecticut, which is predominantly where I practice. So it's a homecoming for me. Um, you've been in practice how long here in Connecticut? It's It's been a while. Uh, it's higher math. Uh, I started in 95. Okay. So really, 23 years. I, okay. In Connecticut. Yes. Outstanding. Um, what are some of the common things you come up against and you treat? 
Right now in the springtime, uh, we see a lot of plantar fasciitis, uh, just overuse of the ligament on the bottom of the foot. Um, common this time of the year, uh, weather's getting nice, everyone starts running, and we, get, we see a lot of overuse injuries. Along with that, a lot of stress fractures this time of the year will be coming in as well. Uh, on the surgical side, we do a lot of uh, bunions, hammer toes, neuromas, uh, and heel pain is surgery for that as well. Uh, foot pain seems to be the – is that what the the biggest thing that brings somebody into your office? Y- yes, yes. Uh, do you see a lot more of it now that, in, at least in eastern Connecticut, um, where we practice, more people are working at the casinos and on their feet more and more? Are you seeing more patients – who are in that line of work? Uh, daily. Daily complaint. Uh, people standing 8, 10, 12 hours a day on a hard uh, cement concrete floor. Is it a footwear issue to many, in many cases? In many cases, it is. Uh, a, a sneaker or a shoe is not designed to last forever. Uh, in most cases, if we pick on a sneaker, uh, average mileage about 200 to 300 miles before you have to change that sneaker. And most people are coming in when you start doing the math. You know, they got five, 600 miles on these sneakers. Yeah. So, right. uh, you know, my dad always told me, and who I based most of my knowledge on in this sphere, <laughs> is, is you should always have at least two pairs of shoes and switch them off either every day or every other day. Correct. So not always correct. wearing the same shoes. Correct. Is that still correct? It's still correct. I tell everybody the same thing. If I if I run into a runner, uh, you know, the shoe you wear for running is just for running. When it starts to wear out, get a new shoe for running. Then this one can be your kick around shoe that you're doing yard work with, and then get rid of it and keep keep rotating them down. How about for the person who's going to work? Say they're going to work at the casino. Everybody's got to wear the, those black shoes. Yes. Um, of which there are multiple varieties yes. now, and some look. Should they have? Two pairs, even if they're of the exact same shoe? They, they, they should because, one, you want to stop the wear pattern on it. But also we're looking at a, a hygiene problem here that you want that shoe to dry out so you decrease the bacterial and fungal load in that shoe. How about the material shoes uh, Shoes are made of now? I mean there are a lot of various materials. We see uh, the nylon mesh like you see in sneakers. Yes. Uh, we're seeing uh, obviously leather still. Sometimes variations of leather that they call leather, but it's not really right. leather. Right. Um, does that play a role? It it does. the The spandex material is much more forgiving. Um, so if you're dealing with a structural deformity, a bunion or hammer toe, it does take a lot of the pressure off. It's also a breathable fabric, so you start letting the air get to the feet, and you start to decrease some of the bacterial load. You know, so you don't see as much athlete's foot. Uh, and fungus and bacteria in there. So I do tell a lot of people, yes, the the, the more breathable, the better. Stay away from the, the hard leather. So it's not only structural, but it's also from a hygiene correct, standpoint. Correct, correct. How about heels? I mean, we're, we're seeing, okay, we're, <laughs> you're, you're just grinning at but it's true. We're seeing women wear higher and higher heels. I mean, some are almost bordering on stilts. Yeah. Um, but yeah. by the same token, um, should they just get rid of heels? I mean, what should a uh, young uh, woman do? You're never going to – first uh, of all, uh, let me just tell you, you're never going to sell that one, but go ahead. You'll put me out of business if they right. they do away with the heels. Um, hey, good for me, uh, but you know, uh, bad for the foot. Uh, you know, There was a study out years ago that it just uh, a heel, a moderate heel, you know, I say a three-inch heel, will make that Achilles structure – uh, work 10 times harder. 
than just wearing a normal sneaker. So there's there's a lot of overuse injuries. And, and I see a lot of uh, female patients that will come in with, you know, bunions, hammer toes, uh, uh, forefoot deformities, and it's all from wearing heels for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. And by the time they get to me, you know, they already know. So I don't wear heels anymore. Uh, but it took, you know, 10, 20 years to learn that lesson. Um, how about the soles of a shoe? Yeah. Uh, you know, there, it used to be every every shoe had leather soles. Then Vibram came yes. in, and I don't even know if that's still what still they around. use. Still around, still yes. around, So does that play a big role? Uh, the, the Vibram came out for more shock absorption to it. Um, but what you're looking for in the sole of the shoe is a stiff shoe or a stiff sole. Uh, I'll tell all my people to grab the shoe between two of their uh, both hands and try to squeeze it and bend the shoe. Uh, you want something that's very rigid. A lot of boat shoes and flimsy shoes, eh, you're looking at uh, as some type of an overuse injury. We're going to get back to talking with Dr. Michael Scanlon and give us some quick tidbits for everybody on how to make your feet feel better. You're listening Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. You keep saying you There's Mike being a little bit cute on the board there. Gotcha. Uh, since we're talking about podiatry and foot pain with Dr. Michael Scanlon, let me give you the phone numbers again. 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. Uh, Michael, one of the things that came up uh, on the break, somebody left a message, uh, was about foot hygiene. Now, I mentioned uh, before one of the tips you gave us was instead of putting powder in your shoes, uh, especially after you work out or have a, a busy day, just get some Lysol spray, some aerosol, and spray the shoes, let them air dry, and that tends to kill any of the germs that are in there. And, um, you know, that seems to have worked well. Uh, but one of the things that always comes up is, is there a is there a better way in terms of cleaning your feet or working with your feet? So can you tell us a little bit more? Let's talk a little bit more about foot hygiene. Yeah, the 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 powder, everyone wants to use powder on their feet to uh, get rid of moisture. It's a nice concept, but what happens is the powder gets stuck between the toes and it wicks all the moisture between. With extra moisture, you're going to run into a bacterial or fungal load. So which is why I tell everyone, uh, stay away from the powder. Uh, as far as the Lysol in shoes, yeah, it, it's a it's a nice, easy thing to do. But you have to make sure you turn the shoe upside down and get the Lysol spray all the way down into the toes. Yep. That, that's, that's the secret to that. For foot hygiene, um, there's a newer product out on the market now, a product called Feet, P-H-E-E-T. Um, great product. We have been using it for over a year, and we have gotten excellent results with it. It is used for uh, a lot of foot odor, which is caused from bacterial overload. Uh, athlete's foot, it, it works phenomenal for that. Uh, we tell everyone wipe their feet once to twice a day. We also use it for a lot of diabetics just as a preventative strike so they don't get into this bacterial uh, overload with it. Uh, so as far as we, you know, we again, we've been using it for a year and have had excellent results with it. Some patients, uh, especially he patients are handicapped either by their weight or their ability, back pain, can't get down to those feet. Correct. What do you it's, do it's, for people like that? I mean, it, it, 
how do they, how do they maintain good foot hygiene? It, it is a challenge. It's, 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 if, if they can't do it, then uh, a helper, a family member is, is going to have to do it for them. Uh, we do a lot of work in our practice with DMR, um, so we, we are used to it. And again, a wipe, people like the wipe better than these lotions and creams that they start putting on their toes. Um, but it is a challenge, and everyone will then start wanting to soak their feet. Well, it's nice, but over the long run, soaking the feet will actually draw out more water and make the skin even uh, drier. So, it, How about it, the salon business? All right, so people go to the salon to get pedicure or whatever. In general, is that good, bad? It's good for me. Uh, you know, in, good good for me in our practice. Yeah. Um, you, you know, the, sarcastic, but the salons are not regulated by the state. So uh, – the, the hygiene and the tools that they're using don't necessarily have to be sterilized. Now, I'm not picking on every salon because I can list many of them that do an excellent job, but there are always those few that are out there that uh, aren't sterilizing their tools, and you see it in the office, and, and you'll tell the people, look, you know, if you think there's a problem, follow your gut and, and leave, go somewhere else, or buy your own tools and bring them sterile and let them use your, you know, your own tools. Okay, so I guess apropos to that, I was in the Dominican Republic um, looking at, as part of my job with baseball, and they had a place there where they had these tanks and these little fish, and people put their feet in, and I guess the fish eat the dead skin? Correct. What's that all about? First of all, I would, I would never recommend it or do no, it. I mean, because no. you don't know who else put their feet in exactly, there. But exactly. What it's, the heck is that all it's, about? It's a breeding pool of, uh, you know, of bacteria. Um, I think people are doing it, one, because it does get rid of some dead skin. Um, but there is a little bit of a massage factor to it. Uh, a a little, massage factor to the, uh, I think the fish little, biting your feet? Yeah, I think a little tingling, little, you know, nubbing. I mean, they're, they're not uh, taking flesh and necessarily drawing blood on you like a a shark or barracuda would, um, but it is a unique thing that that people do. But you know, how many uh, toes have been amputated uh, a month after doing that? I, I wonder. I'm not even a germaphobe. Yeah. Wouldn't even go near that. Uh, but we have uh, Dorothy is on the line from New Britain. Dorothy, welcome to the show. Thank you for calling. Yeah. Uh, for me taking yeah. the phone call. Sure. What do you got? I have a callus between my little toe and. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, we hear you. And uh, I had it removed, and it was partially removed, I guess. Is there anything you can do with a laser to remove it? Well, Dorothy, when you say you had it removed, did they just scrape the callus down, or did they do some type of no, surgery? It took like a little... Um Razor and shaved it. Yeah, yeah. The the real what's really going on? It's in between the toes. There's a little bone spur that's in there, and that spur starts pinching against the skin, which is what's causing your callus. Mm -hmm. So your options are: you keep shaving it down, what they just did prior to you. You start putting some padding in there. Lamb's oil would be the best option for you. Just wind it between the toes. Mm -hmm. And lastly, there's a little minor surgical procedure. Gets done right in the office. Numb the toe. Make a little incision. Burr off that spur. Um, Ten minutes. Uh, they can remove the spur? Yes. Yep. Oh, so, did yep. you do that? I do do that. It's one one stitch. Uh, stitch mm -hmm. comes out in about a week, and you're good to go. Oh, I, like, great. I like to have that done. Great. Great. I will give you the phone number. Thank you for calling. Uh, hold on a minute. I have to get a pen. I'm going to announce it. We're going to hang up, and then I'll give it to you. Okay.
just so I give it to everybody. Well, well, she Dorothy brought it up. Uh, the phone number for Dr. Scanlon and Connecticut Foot Group is 860-456-4250. Michael, getting back to that question. So is the callus generally in the web between the fourth and fifth toe or is it more distal? Uh, it's, it's more distal. It's usually right at the, uh, at the edge of the nail plate itself. Okay. Okay. Um, she brought up an interesting point. She mentioned the word, the magic word, laser. Yes. Is laser – do you use lasers in your business? Has it produced benefit in laser we, or – We use laser in our office. We, we use what's called an MLS laser uh, and it, it shoots out two uh, waveforms. One is for pain. One is for inflammation. So we use it for a lot of post-operative care uh, or post-operative pain. We've even used it on non-healing wounds to get more blood supply to the area. We have used it for diabetic neuropathy to get some of the feeling, if not all of the feeling back. Uh, laser in surgery – it's not horribly common in, in uh, podiatry, um, but it's out there more for soft tissue, not bone work. How would you get – got to ask you a question. How would you get feeling back in diabetic neuropathy with the use of a laser? You know, I, I, I don't know. I don't have an answer for that uh, other than to tell you, yes, I do have several people that have a neuropathic pain and this laser is easing uh, the pain with it. Well, there's a lot to be said for placebo as well. I, I, it's, it's, I'm just because I can you. see it for all the other things where yep. it increases heat, increases circulation. Yes, but as far as nerve function goes, um, but because I and I see it in sports all the time. Every training room now has a laser of some type, of some degree, uh, and now we've even gotten to the point where the the athlete and the provider have to wear glasses. Uh, I think just putting the glasses on helps healing. Well, there, there's no doubt there is a huge placebo effect Especially here. Especially in athletes. Yes, so. yes. It, it's, it, it, it is. Um, but, you know, you can't argue when you have a wound that has failed to heal and you shoot it once, twice, three times with a laser and, my gosh, this I, I could see where gone. it works. But you I could see where that works yes. in a wound yeah. kill. Yep. So, anyhow, um, let me give you the phone numbers again. 860-522-9842, one 800 966-9842. We're chatting today with Dr. Michael Scanlon from CT Foot Group at his phone number, 860-456-4250. We're going to take a short break and be back for the last segment with Dr. Scanlon. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. Can't pass the people, can't pass the hitman. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. We're in the last segment with our guest today, Dr. Michael Scanlon, uh, talking about all things that concern the feet. Uh, you know, one of the things you just briefly mentioned uh, was bunionectomy. Now, bunionectomy is one of those things that obviously people try to avoid. Yes. Because it's a pretty big operation, yes. maybe not from the technical standpoint, but certainly from the patient standpoint. Can you walk us through a little bit why do people get bunions and what are the potential solutions other than the ultimate surgical solution? Sure. Uh, uh, bunion, uh, bump a bone on uh, by the big toe, inside part of the foot. 
uh, 98% are going to be a genetic issue. Uh, remaining two are going to be a, uh, 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 shoe gear issue, which will expedite it. Um, it's not necessarily the causative agent. Um, to be long-winded, I got a buddy in Hawaii who uh, practices just like I do. Uh, so when you start talking, how many bunions do you do? You know, I don't know. I, I do eight, ten a year? No, a month. And he's he's doing that in a year. Uh, the point I'm getting at is he sees them. They just don't bother people out there because of the shoes, uh, flip-flops that they're wearing. <laughs> so the point is the shoe is not what's causing it. It's just the expediting factor here. So it's a genetic factor. Um but to treat it, it's, it's you're either all in or all out. It comes down to conservative care where it's padding. It's a change of shoe. It could be an insert just to change the mechanics of it. So that bunion just hits differently in that shoe. Um, there's a little nerve there which causes most of the pain because the nerve gets pinched between the shoe and the bone. And and there you go. Um, so it's, it's an accommodative uh, treatment conservative treatment until you get ready to move into the surgical realm. The million dollar question everyone asks me is, when am I ready? Um, doesn't go anything by the deformity. Is it mild, moderate, or severe? It goes by how much pain you're having and does it limit your activities of daily living? So again, so someone, for example, in an athlete, it could be very incapacitating it can uh, be. to have that. So they're much more likely to have surgery. Correct. Correct. As opposed to someone who's rather elderly, doesn't walk a lot. Right. I mean, I'll have people that will, will come in. They're not horribly active. They do have some pain there. Um, so you can accommodate them through either an oral med, an injection, or some type of padding, and they're very happy. Uh, okay. Problem is solved. On to the next one. Um, a younger patient, uh, you know, if you're having issues now at 18, 19, it's, it's only going to get worse as you get older. So, and particularly with athletes, uh, if, if it's going to hinder your athletic career, a lot of them do get it done quickly. Surgical options. Surgical options. There are various options uh, depending on the de severity of the deformity of the bunion. But in a nutshell, uh, the bump gets removed. That is one procedure right there. It could be over and done. Uh, procedure number two is where you're going to have to cut the bone, shift it over, and then pin it and or screw it. Um, I, I use two screws. Some people still use pins. Uh, physician's uh, decision on that one. No great advantage, I, I don't believe. Um, it's the rehab that gets everybody. Because if I have to cut that bone, you are looking at four to six weeks in a surgical shoe, partial weight-bearing to non-weight-bearing status. Let me back up a couple of things. So bones and screws, uh, pins and screws. Yes. So is it the way they're going in? Is one easier to do than the other or uh, can you explain it? The the, the screw for me, um, well, both uh, um, keep the deformity stable. The screw will add compression to it. The pin will not. The pin just holds it there, um, and if you get into bony healing, as you compress bone, you get bone-to-bone -bone healing as opposed to a cartilaginous uh, a predecessor, which the bone will creep into. So it does shorten the healing process of it. Uh, so, it, again, it's physician preference, but screws or uh, pins are uh, uh, easier to put in. And when you say cut the bone, are you removing a segment of the bone in the big you're, toe? You're removing that bump of bone. You're, you're physically cutting it and removing it. Then you are going to make a through and through cut uh, through the bone from big toe side to little toe side, and you are going to slide that bone over. In our last minutes, 
What's the next big thing we're going to hear about in podiatry? What's what do you think is going to be the next big breakthrough? Is it going to be with respect to foot care? Um, is it going to be respect to footwear? Is it going to be respect to hygiene, surgery? What can we expect to start hearing? Yeah, the, the, the next thing that you will be hearing soon is going to be in wound care where there are companies now that right now when you want a swab or a culture, you take the swab, you send it to the hospital, and they put it in a Petri dish and they grow out the bacteria. Uh, they drop a little beads in it impregnated with antibiotics and they will tell you what the antibiotic is or what bug is there and what antibiotic will kill it. The new trend now is... You take the swab, but now they're going to analyze the DNA, and they're going to get a very precise match from the organism that's in there, code the DNA. This is what you have. This is how you fix it. We'll even compound, if it's a topical, we will compound what you need in the compound to kill all the different bugs that are in there. The results now have been short of phenomenal, um, but it's still growing, still in its infant stage. But it's going to start being DNA analysis. So when they put the drug together, it is different. It is not going to be your customary antibiotic. No, it is going to be tailor made to you. Is that going to be a situation for people who have had resistance to antibiotics? It, yes, yes. So what you're saying is the next level in our armamentarium. One one of our greatest enemies in wound care is MRSA. Yes. Right? Methicillin resistant staph. What you're saying is, okay, the staph infection has now altered its DNA to become resistant. But we're going to find out what they altered it to and hit hit the bacteria there. Correct. Wow. And they're doing this already? They're doing it now. A company called Microgen. So you take the swab. Send it off to the company. Correct. And then they get back to How soon does this whole process take? Because if it takes too long, obviously it's not going to no, be helpful. No, you, you can get initial results usually within a day, uh, but your full report is about three to five days. And then they have to design the drug. Correct. How long does that take? Uh, another three days. That's uh, it? They, they will start it immediately, but they're very quick on doing it, yes. So you mentioned topical. So, for example, someone who has athlete's foot really badly that's been resistant to most over-the-counter stuff or common antifungals. Yes. You would do the same thing. You could do the same thing. They're, they're also doing it with toenails now uh, where, hey, you got a thick nail. Ah, it's fungus. Well, they're finding out that – yeah, it's not quite all fungus here that, you know, changing it up and tailor making it to this specific person, we can get a better cure rate. But also with these chronic wounds, I mean, we have people in our office frequently that, you know, show up. What are you here for? I got a wound. Where you been going? I've been going here for the last six months and the wound is still here. Everybody's been doing everything right, but it's failing to heal. Right. So there is what they're after. Wow. That is just so Amazing. interesting. Yes. Uh, it's great. Yeah. It's great. We're going to have to follow up on that with you. Thanks again for Thank spending you. time. Thanks for everything you do in the community. My guest has been Dr. Michael Scanlon. If you want to reach out to him, it's 860-456-4250. Many thanks to our studio producer. Mike Olko has been on the board today. Jeff Chandler is in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. 
Uh, next week, I am going to be away, so we are taping a show, uh, and my guest on that program is going to be Dr. Fernander Weinstein. Dr. Weinstein is a specialist in peripheral nerve disorders and has done some outstanding research at Columbia Presbyterian in New York, and we're hoping she's going to be joining us here at the University of Connecticut very shortly. So we're going to chat with her a little bit about peripheral nerve disease, uh, diabetic neuropathy and things such as that, and some new treatments with regard to that. We're also going to be chatting with Caitlin Bernabucci from New England Donor Services about organ donation and something they have coming up uh, real soon in a walk and a charity walk for that. I will be in Billings, Montana with the Professional Bull Riders Tour, um, working with bull riders out there, and then I will be back to you shortly after that. Next up on WTIC is going to be Red Sox baseball. Please remember to help save lives. You can do that today by becoming an organ, eye, and tissue donor. Just go to www.registerme.org. Until next week, please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Ratchford Eye Center, Covaris, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.